This is America in the Morning from Westwood One. Good morning, I'm John Trout. It's Tuesday, January 16th, 2024. Coming up on America in the Morning, the Iowa caucuses. The U.S. Defense Secretary out of the hospital. I'm Clayton Neville. Iran has announced strikes in northern Iraq and Syria as regional tensions escalate. I'm Norman Hall. On Wall Street, investors are back at work this morning after yesterday's Martin Luther King Day holiday. We'll tell you what to watch for your money this week. I'm Jessica Ettinger. There is a search in the Gulf of Aden for two Navy SEALs. Ed Donahue, Washington. Federal government and the state of Texas continue their standoff. We'll have the latest. Major grocery store merger blocked. Then... Succession and The Bear took the top honors at the Emmy Awards. I'm Margie Zaraleta with the latest. All ahead on America in the Morning. Donald Trump has won Iowa's leadoff presidential caucuses. The former president's victory with 51% of the vote gives him a strong start in the race for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination as the contest moves now to New Hampshire. Well, I want to thank everybody. This has been some period of time. And most importantly, we want to thank the great people of Iowa. Thank you. We love you all. In his victory speech, Trump also offered his congratulations to his competitors, Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley. I want to congratulate Ron and Nikki for having a, a, good, a good time together. We're all having a good time together. Uh, I think they both actually did very well. I really do. I think they both did very well. We don't even know what the outcome of second place is. DeSantis took second place with over 21% of the vote and said he's looking to the future. In spite of all of that that they threw at us, everyone against us, we've got our ticket punched out of Iowa. Nikki Haley, in a close third, claimed 19%, saying she is down but not out. Underestimate me, because that's always fun. Meanwhile, Vivek Ramaswamy announced he's suspending his campaign after a disappointing fourth-place finish. During his announcement, he added that he's throwing his support behind President Trump for the 2024 nomination. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin is out of the hospital following a controversial couple weeks for the Pentagon chief. Correspondent Clayton Neville has been following the story. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin was released from Walter Reed Military Medical Center on Monday, according to the Pentagon. Austin's expected to make a full recovery after a two-week hospital stay brought on by complications surrounding prostate cancer surgery. The secretary will work remotely for a couple weeks and has full access to secure communications. In fact, Pentagon spokesman Brigadier General Pat Ryder recently told Fox News that Secretary Austin gave commands on attacks on Houthis in the Red Sea from his hospital room. So Secretary Austin was actively engaged in overseeing and directing the strikes that we saw in Yemen on Tuesday when the Houthis were conducting their complex attack in the Southern Red Sea. Secretary Austin was engaged in a call with the chairman and the CENTCOM commander to review in real time the, the Houthi attack and then subsequently had several, conver excuse me, two conversations with the president, multiple conversations with the National Security Council, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, 
and the CENTCOM commander over the next couple of days. Austin caught grief after his hospitalization was made public because he didn't tell Congress or the White House for a few days. President Biden called it a lapse in judgment, and the Defense Department's Inspector General's office is looking into the lack of transparency. I'm Clayton Neville. An Arctic freeze continues to blast huge swaths of the U.S. with sub-zero temperatures. Correspondent Julie Walker reports. The National Weather Service says wind chills are expected to push down temperatures through at least midweek, possibly to 30 degrees below zero from the northern Rockies to northern Kansas and into Iowa. Testing the hardiness of caucus goers willing to brave the deep chill. Arctic storms have left at least four dead and knocked out power to tens of thousands in the northwest brought snow to the south and walloped the northeast with blizzard conditions. I'm Julie Walker. U.S.-owned ship targeted and struck in the Middle East. We'll have the latest when America in the Morning continues after these messages. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Welcome back to America in the Morning. Yesterday's snowfall for many along the East Coast continues into today. Here's AccuWeather.com meteorologist Carl Erickson with today's forecast. The East Coast will have stormy weather today, ranging from snow to rain to thunderstorms. A large swath of snow will fall across the northeast and mid-Atlantic, with most areas picking up a total of one to three inches of snow. Three to six inches will pile up over parts of the Hudson Valley into northern New England, with up to 10 inches possible over the mountains of northern Vermont, New Hampshire, and into western Maine. Even the big cities along the I-95 corridor from Boston to New York and Philadelphia can pick up an inch or two of snow before changing over to a wintry mix of rain and ice. This can lead to slippery travel and delays. Snow around the nation's capital in Baltimore will taper off later this morning with improving conditions this afternoon. On the warm side of the storm, rain will dampen the eastern Carolinas through Georgia and into the Florida panhandle, with rounds of rain and heavier thunderstorms crossing the rest of Florida. The air will be just cold enough that there could be a wintry mix of rain, sleet, and snow this morning as far south as Atlanta, Georgia, and Montgomery, Alabama. Dry weather will be in place across much of the central United States and back through the Rocky Mountains. 
However, much of the Great Lakes, Midwest, and Plains states south through Texas will continue to be in the grip of cold Arctic air. Many locations across the upper Midwest will struggle to climb above zero degrees today, including places like Chicago and Minneapolis. Even places as far south as Houston and New Orleans will barely climb above the freezing mark today. A storm will spread rain into northern California, northward into western Oregon, with snow falling across the Cascades. Southern California into the desert southwest will have sunny and nice weather. And that's the weather across America. In Boston today, snow, high 35. Meanwhile, in San Francisco, afternoon rain with a high of 59. That's the nation's weather. I'm AccuWeather.com meteorologist Carl Erickson. Remember to follow us everywhere you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and YouTube. Just search America in the Morning in your favorite listening app. I'm John Trout. Iran has announced strikes in northern Iraq and Syria as regional tensions escalate. Correspondent Norman Hall has details. Iran says it launched strikes against what it called spy headquarters in the gathering of anti-Iranian terrorist groups shortly after missiles hit an upscale area near the U.S. consulate in Erbil, the seat of Iraq's semi-autonomous Kurdish region. The Kurdish regional government said in a statement that four civilians were killed and six injured in the strikes. A statement from Iran's Revolutionary Guards on state media said it had struck terrorist operations, including Islamic State targets in Syria. Another statement claimed that it had hit headquarters of Mossad, the Israeli intelligence agency, in the Kurdish region of Iraq. A U.S. official said no U.S. facilities were struck or damaged in the attacks. I, Norman Hall. A missile fired from Yemen has struck a U.S.-owned ship in the Gulf of Aden, correspondent Charles de Ledesma reports. Umbra and Dryad Global identified the vessel as the Eagle Gibraltar, a Marshall Islands flagged bulk carrier. The ship is owned by Eagle Bulk, a Stamford, Connecticut-based firm, traded on the New York Stock Exchange. The firm did not respond to requests for comment. No group has immediately claimed responsibility for the attack, though suspicion has fallen on Yemen's Houthi rebels. They've been targeting that crucial corridor linking Asian and Mideast energy and cargo ships shipments to the Suez Canal onward to Europe, a move that's threatening to widen the Middle East conflict. The U.S. Navy's Bahrain-based Fifth Fleet also has not immediately responded to a request for comment. I'm Charles de Ledesma. When we return on America in the Morning, Risky or the Future? The latest on Bitcoin ETF after these messages. We're back on America in the Morning with a look at markets and more. Here's CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Wall Street, back at it this morning after the Martin Luther King holiday when the markets were closed yesterday. The Dow on Friday hit a record high before pulling back. Investors are setting up for a busy week of earnings reports, including this morning when we hear from Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley. Lots of worried bankers over the weekend, though, after Citigroup said on Friday it plans to cut 20,000 people by the end of 2026. J.P. Morgan Chase on Friday turned in its final numbers for last year, and it was its most profitable ever. Quick look back at inflation data that came out on Friday. 
could move the market today. Investors liked the surprise drop in wholesale inflation in December. That could feed into the data the Fed uses to determine whether it should cut interest rates. A drop in the PPI, the producer price index, can indicate lower inflation coming down the road at the consumer level. This PPI number, which is really showing a um, deflation up the pipeline here, Food down 0.9% on the wholesale level. Energy down 1.2%. What I think happened yesterday was people look at the CPI and said, well, it's a little bit hotter. But let's just wait because the wholesale price story has been one that's been positive, uh, at least in terms of inflation improving. CNBC chief economics reporter Steve Liesman. World leaders and billionaires are in Davos, Switzerland this morning. The World Economic Forum is on this week. Jessica, how are markets going to be affected by the Bitcoin ETF approval? Well, it really means average people like you and me can invest in Bitcoin without actually owning Bitcoin. It makes it a lot easier to just invest in the fund, and Fidelity even offers one now. But of course, in addition to your investment, you do pay fees. Wall Street was salivating over that. Spot Bitcoin exchange-traded funds are up and running as of last week. Some investors say they're risky. Others say crypto is the future. Up until Wednesday's approval from the SEC, the $30 trillion advised wealth management industry in the U.S. had largely been cut out of the crypto sector. And, you know, very few U.S. investors have any sort of material allocation to Bitcoin at this point, despite it being one of the best performing asset classes of the last 18 months. You've got the VanEck CEO making the point that a lot of fiduciaries, financial advisors, and frankly, the banks have been told to steer clear of crypto. I spoke to Bitwise's chief investment officer. He says that financial advisors and family offices are really the primary market that ETFs unlock. CNBC's Mackenzie Segalos. On today's watch list, we get a reading on manufacturing in the New York region and the National Retail Federation holding its biggest convention of the year, the big show in New York, to set up sales for 24. Thank you, CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. There is a search in the Gulf of Aden for two Navy SEALs missing after a mission to confiscate Iranian missile parts. Correspondent Ed Donahue reports. A defense official says the plan was to take over a small vessel, a Dow, that was carrying components to transfer medium-range Iranian ballistic missiles headed for Somalia. As they were boarding the vessel in rough seas, one SEAL got knocked off by high waves and a teammate went in after him. Both are missing. Navy ships and aircraft are involved in the search. The official says weapons were confiscated, the boat was sunk, crew members are in custody. The mission is not related to the ongoing U.S. and international mission to provide protection to commercial vessels in the Red Sea. Ed Donahue, Washington. The Biden administration has told Texas officials to stop impeding U.S. Border Patrol access to part of the U.S.-Mexico border that the state National Guard took over last week. In a letter to Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, Department of Homeland Security General Counsel Jonathan Myers said a combination of Texas National Guard soldiers, equipment, and physical barriers is unconstitutionally restricting Border Patrol access to about two and a half miles of the U.S.-Mexico border at Eagle Pass. Further, Meyer stated in his letter to Paxton that while Texas claimed to have allowed access in the area, the state continues to impede border patrol activities and warned of potential additional legal action if the state doesn't halt its efforts. The letter is the latest volley in the rising tensions between the state government and the Biden administration over the immigration surge at the U.S. southern border in Texas. 
When we return on America in the Morning, succession rewarded after these messages. We're back. This is America in the Morning. Washington State Attorney General Bob Ferguson has sued to block the proposed merger of Kroger and Albertsons, two of the nation's largest grocery chains. In the suit filed in King County Superior Court, Ferguson argued that the $25 billion deal would harm consumers and raise prices. In a statement, Kroger said it was pushing back its timeline for closing the deal due to ongoing dialogue with regulators, including state attorneys general and the Federal Trade Commission. Kroger and Albertsons agreed to merge in 2022. The grocery chains say they must do so to compete with Walmart, Amazon and other major companies that have stepped into the grocery business. Succession and The Bear took top honors at the Emmy Awards. With more on the evening, here's correspondent Margie Zaraleta. Succession won Best Drama Series for a third time. Because the Hollywood strikes delayed the Emmys four months, The Bear won for Best Comedy Series for its first season, eight days after it won the Golden Globe for its second season. Quinta Brunson's win for Lead Comedy Actress is the first time a black woman has won since Isabel Sanford in 1981. Kieran Culkin, who won Lead Dramatic Actor, says he really has been asking his wife about having a third child. Instead of just talking to her in private like a, like a human, I just blasted <laughs> her on stage, which was very rude. I'm Margie Zaraleta. America in the Morning for Tuesday, January 16th, 2024 is produced by Alexander Hinton. Our senior producers, Kevin Delaney. I'm John Trout. This is Westwood One. This is America in the Morning from Westwood One. I'm John Trout. Coming up this half hour. The race for second in Iowa. I'm Clayton Neville. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has been released from Walter Reed National Military Medical Center at Donahue, Washington. NTSB investigates hot air balloon crash. The Federal Aviation Administration is investigating a ground collision of two Boeing planes in Chicago. I'm Norman Hall. A dire warning from the U.N. about a catastrophe in Gaza. I'm Rita Foley. Are NFTs dead? GameStop to shut down their NFT marketplace. I'm Chuck Palm. Back after these messages. Welcome back. This is America in the Morning. Yesterday, just round one of this winter storm we're following. Here's AccuWeather.com meteorologist Carl Erickson with an update and today's forecast. Well, much of the Great Lakes, Midwest, and Plain states south through Texas will continue to be in the grip of cold Arctic air today. Many locations across the upper Midwest will struggle to climb above zero degrees, including places like Chicago and Minneapolis. When you factor in the winds, it'll feel more like it's anywhere from 15 to 30 degrees below zero. Even places as far south as Houston and New Orleans will barely climb above the freezing mark today. Meanwhile, the East Coast will have stormy weather today, ranging from snow to rain to thunderstorms. A large swath of snow will fall 
across the northeast and mid-Atlantic, with most areas picking up a total of 1 to 3 inches of snow. 3 to 6 inches of snow will pile up over parts of the Hudson Valley into northern New England, with up to 10 inches possible over the mountains of northern Vermont, New Hampshire, and into western Maine. Even the big cities along the I-95 corridor from Boston to New York City and into Philadelphia can pick up an inch or two of snow before a changeover to a wintry mix of rain and ice, which can lead to slippery travel and delays. Snow around the nation's capital and Baltimore will taper off later this morning with improving conditions this afternoon. On the warm side of the storm, rain will dampen the eastern Carolinas south through Georgia and the Florida Panhandle, with rounds of rain and heavier thunderstorms crossing the rest of Florida. The air will be just cold enough that there could be a wintry mix of rain, sleet, and snow this morning as far south as Atlanta, Georgia, and Montgomery, Alabama. Dry weather will be in place across much of the central United States and back through the Rocky Mountains with a good deal of sunshine. A storm will spread rain into northern California, northward into western Oregon, with snow falling across the Cascades. Southern California into the desert southwest will have sunny weather with a nice afternoon and highs in the 60s. That's the nation's weather. I'm AccuWeather.com meteorologist Kai Erickson. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and YouTube. Just search America in the Morning in your favorite listening app. I'm John Trout. The 2024 presidential election season is in full force as Iowans braved cold temperatures for the nation's first caucus. Correspondent Clayton Neville says it was a battle for second place, as anticipated. Below zero temperatures and tough wintry conditions in Iowa as the state hosted the first caucus of the election year. Who says Iowans don't, Iowans don't come out in cold weather? Huh? Gary Nystrom's a chair for Boone County Central Committee in the Republican Party of Iowa and said the turnout was impressive given the conditions. That sun came out today and people just flocked outside. I couldn't believe it. Yes, I can because I've been in Iowa all my life. In days leading up to the caucus, former U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. Nikki Haley touted a significance of the caucus to Iowa voters. Y'all start this process. Iowa dictates the tone in which we go. Some political experts predicted a turnout impacted by weather could benefit President Trump the most, but candidates like Haley urged her supporters to make their voices heard. And I know it's cold, but it has been made very clear that nobody's going to be deterred from going to the caucuses. While it was clear going into Monday night that former President Trump was the front runner, Haley pushed a strong message that he's not the right man for the presidency. We can't deal with the chaos anymore. This is not what America Americans want to be talking about. They're wanting to know why economy's high they, and why inflation's high, why everything's more expensive. They want to know why we aren't focused on getting our kids reading again. They want to know how we're allowing the lawlessness at the border that's out of control. That's what they want to talk about, not whether somebody's MAGA or not. Candidate Vivek Ramaswamy said that a Trump presidency just isn't feasible because of legal and political challenges he's facing. They're not going to let this man get anywhere near the White House again. And it's disgusting, but these people now will stop at nothing. The Iowa caucus was called for Trump not long after the caucus meeting started. Well, we have a lot of tremendous support, but it's nasty out there. Trump called the race nasty, but the MAGA movement clearly alive in Iowa. As for the rest of the candidates, it was no surprise that Haley and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis were close in the race for second behind Trump, but some of the specifics were certainly of interest too. Trump did about equally as well among women as he did men. Some political experts point to preliminary entrance poll data that shows 12% of men, but only 5% of women, said they'd support Ramaswamy. He appeared to give Trump some competition among men. An Edison entrance poll showed that a third of caucus goers said Trump would be unfit for president if convicted of a crime. 
The lingering charges against him, seemingly what's making the stakes especially high for the other candidates. I'm Clayton Neville. After the dust settled, Trump was on top with 51 percent, DeSantis in second with approximately 21 percent of the vote, Haley was a close third with 19 percent. Vivek Ramaswamy announced he was suspending his campaign and endorsed Trump shortly after the former president's victory speech, after coming in a distant fourth with just below 8 percent. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has been released from Walter Reed National Military Medical Center, correspondent Ed Donahue reports. Austin has been in the hospital for two weeks to treat complications from prostate cancer surgery. In a statement, the Pentagon says the cancer was treated early and his prognosis is excellent. This was all kept secret from senior Biden administration officials for weeks. A few days ago, President Biden was asked if he still has confidence in Austin. I do. The president answered yes when asked if it was a lapse in judgment. A review is underway. While Austin was at Walter Reed, the U.S. launched a series of military strikes late last week on the Iranian-backed Houthis in Yemen. Austin will be working from home as he recovers. Ed Donahue, Washington. At least four people have died in wintry weather that froze much of the nation. Here's correspondent Katie Clark with an update. It's officially winter. About half of the U.S. is under an Arctic freeze. Sub-zero temperatures, snow and ice, power outages. Some areas are 20 to 40 degrees below normal. In Oregon, snow and ice caused around 100,000 people to lose power. Four have died related to the storm. Traveling? Kathleen Bangs of FlightAware discusses how the weather is affecting airports. Trying to operate in those temperatures is just really difficult for ground crews, so it sort of slows everything down. It slows down your fueling, it slows down your Bag loading slows down people getting to the airport. You have more people that tend to call in sick, frankly, uh, when you have weather like this. Johnny DeMillo, owner of DeMillo's on the Water restaurant in Maine, has flooding like he's never seen. We experienced a, a tide that none of us had ever seen. There was normally on a higher tide with storm surge in the corner of our parking lot. Uh, water would just kind of puddle there, but there was standing water, you know, 20 feet in, not to mention there was white caps coming in on top of that. New York Governor Kathy Hochul is a little less pessimistic about the weather around Buffalo. Monday will be the 30th anniversary of what was the coldest football game ever played in Buffalo Bills history here in western New York. It was zero with wind chills reaching minus 32. So if you start feeling cold, think back about the people who were there 30 years ago and it was a lot colder. And remember, that resulted in a win that led us to the Super Bowl. Bundle up. I'm Katie Clark. Life-threatening wind chill values will continue today from the state of Texas through the Appalachians and into the state of Maine. Houthi missile strike hits U.S. ship. The latest on the situation when America in the Morning continues after these messages. America in the morning. Welcome back. I'm John Trout. Conflict in the Middle East intensifies as a Houthi missile strike hits a U.S.-owned cargo ship. Here's our correspondent John Stolness with the latest. Houthi rebels on Monday fired a missile at the Gibraltar Eagle less than a day after they launched an anti-ship cruise missile at an American destroyer in the Red Sea. 
This would be the first time the Houthis successfully struck a ship that is owned or operated by Americans. And it comes a couple days after the U.S. and allies launched attacks at a Houthi base in Yemen in response to their previous attacks against merchant ships passing through the Red Sea. British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak in remarks to Parliament yesterday. It wouldn't be right to speculate on future action, but what I can say is our strikes were intended to degrade the Houthi capability, and as I said, they did, initial assessments show, effectively destroy 13 targets at two sites, including drones, an airfield, and a cruise missile launcher. Meanwhile, two U.S. Navy SEALs remain missing in the Gulf of Aden after a team raided an unmarked vessel on Monday, believed to be carrying components for Iranian ballistic missiles on their way to Somalia. One of the SEALs was knocked off the boat during rough waves in the nighttime operation. A second SEAL dove in after him. The waters in the Gulf of Aden are warm, and the Pentagon says SEALs are trained for these situations. The crew of the unmarked vessel was taken into custody, and the ship was sunk. I'm John Stolness. Four people were killed and another critically injured after a hot air balloon crash Sunday morning near Elroy, Arizona, about 60 miles south of Phoenix. Authorities say the balloon was taking part in a sunrise skydiving charter with 13 people on board. Eight skydivers safely jumped from the aircraft and landed before the incident. NTSB officials released early findings yesterday saying the balloon crashed, quote, following an unspecified problem with its envelope, end quote, which is the balloon portion of the lighter-than-air vessel. However, the exact cause of the crash remains unknown. The FAA is investigating a ground collision of two Boeing planes in Chicago. Correspondent Norman Hall has that story. Iran says it launched strikes against what it called spy headquarters in the gathering of anti-Iranian terrorist groups shortly after missiles hit an upscale area near the U.S. consulate in Erbil the seat of Iraq's semi-autonomous Kurdish region. The Kurdish regional government said in a statement that four civilians were killed and six injured in the strikes. A statement from Iran's Revolutionary Guards on state media said it had struck terrorist operations, including Islamic State targets in Syria. Another statement claimed that it had hit headquarters of Mossad, the Israeli intelligence agency, in the Kurdish region of Iraq. A U.S. official said no U.S. facilities were struck or damaged in the attacks. I. Norman Hall. The White House was the latest target of a swatting attempt. Fire engines and other emergency vehicles responded to a fake 911 call that the White House was ablaze and a person was trapped inside. Within minutes, District of Columbia Fire and Emergency Medical Services and U.S. Secret Service personnel determined that it was a false report and called off the response. President Biden was not there at the time of the incident. He spent the holiday weekend at Camp David in Maryland. The U.N. issuing a dire warning about a catastrophe in Gaza. Correspondent Rita Foley has that. It's being called an unprecedented humanitarian crisis. The U.N. says Israel's war against Hamas has displaced most of the millions who live in Gaza and pushed more than a quarter of them into starvation. Authorities there say more than 24,000 people have died. The White House says it's time for Israel to scale back its military offensive. But Israel blames Hamas for the high death toll, saying its fighters use civilian buildings and launch attacks from highly populated urban areas. Israel began its offensive when Hamas attacked it on October 7th, killing 1,200 people and taking hundreds of hostages. I'm Rita Foley. 
The war in Ukraine marches on. Correspondent Charles de Ledesma has an update on the latest with the fighting. Ukraine says it's shot down two Russian command and control aircraft in a significant blow to Moscow. Officials say one was a warning and control plane that can spot targets up to 400 miles away, and the second a key command centre that relays information to troops on the ground. The planes are fundamental tools in helping orchestrate Russian battlefield movements in Ukraine. Shooting them down, if confirmed, would be a landmark feat for Ukraine, as fighting along the front line is largely bogged down in trench and artillery warfare. Russia has largely ensured its air dominance during the war as Ukraine fights with its fleet of Soviet-era warplanes against Moscow's more modern aircraft. I'm Charles Dilodesma. NFTs used to be all the rage. Now another popular marketplace for NFTs is shutting down, claiming regulatory limbo. Chuck Palm has the story in today's Tech Report. GameStop announced they will shut down their NFT marketplace due to regulatory limbo. In a statement on their website, they notified users they have just over two weeks remaining to access their NFT platform. The company has assured the NFT holders that the decision to further scale down its relationship with crypto will not impact their NFTs. In another quote from their website, GameStop announced their decision to wind down had everything to do with regulatory uncertainty of the crypto space. This was following last week's seemingly positive news of 11 Bitcoin ETF trading funds being authorized by the FTC. NFTs, or non-fungible tokens, are digital representations of trading cards or artwork that collectors can buy, share, or trade. NFT trading has declined in recent months, partially due to the crypto winter and the frauds from FTX and Terra Luna crypto exchanges. For more crypto and NFT news, visit allthetoptech.tech. I'm Chuck Palm. And with Tuesday Sports on America in the Morning, here's our Robert Workman. The NFL's wildcard weekend wrapped up with a Monday doubleheader. The Bills beat the Steelers 31-17. The game pushed back a day due to a snowstorm in Buffalo, but the home team came out hot. Josh Allen threw TD passes to his tight ends Dawson Knox and Dalton Kincaid, then broke off a 52-yard scoring run himself for a 21-0 lead. Pittsburgh clawed its way back. Mason Rudolph with a pair of touchdown passes to get them within seven early in the fourth quarter, but Allen answered with a pass to Khalil Shakir, who slipped a tackle and raced to the end zone for the clincher. Coach Sean McDermott credited the Buffalo fans for turning out. Bill's Mafia showed up. I know that there wasn't always uh, clean seats to sit on, uh, but it didn't seem like it mattered to them. In the second game, the Buccaneers barreled over the Eagles 32-9. Baker Mayfield threw for 337 yards and three touchdowns for Tampa Bay's sixth win in its last seven games. Just the opposite of Philadelphia's finish. They opened the season 10-1, but bowed out 11-7. So the divisional round matchups are set. Saturday starts with the Texans at the Ravens, who had the best record in the AFC in the regular season, followed by the Packers at the 49ers, who had the NFC bye. On Sunday, we'll see the Bucks at the Lions and the Chiefs at the Bills. On the coaching Carousel, Bill Belichick interviewed for the Falcons job Monday. The Patriots are expected to introduce his replacement, Gerard Mayo, tomorrow. Monday was the final day for college underclassmen to declare for the NFL draft. One name stood out, USC quarterback Caleb Williams. He won the 2022 Heisman Trophy as a sophomore. He immediately went to the top of most draft boards. NBA, the Celtics slapped the Raptors. Boston has beaten Toronto in each of their last eight meetings. Jazz ran their winning streak to six with a rout of the Pacers. Cavaliers pulled away for a win over the Bulls. Cleveland has taken five in a row. 76ers ripped the 
the Rockets, Joel Embiid back with 41 points after missing three games with a sore left knee. Kyrie Irving scored 42 points, Tim Hardaway Jr. 41 as the Mavericks rally past the Pelicans. Grizzlies, Heat, Magic, Pistons, Hawks, and Lakers posted wins. NHL, Marc-Andre Fleury stopped 21 shots and moved past Patrick Waugh into second place on the all-time wins list as the Wild blank the Islanders. Fleury now with 552 NHL wins. That's second only to Martin Brodeur's 691. Penguins stopped the Kraken's nine-game winning streak. Sabres shut down the Sharks. Bruins shut out the Devils. Kings snapped an eight-game skid with a win over the Hurricanes. Mark Stone's hat trick led the Golden Knights past the Predators. That's his first ever in the regular season. His only other hatter came in the Stanley Cup clincher last year against Florida. Canadians, Flyers, Blue Jackets, and Ducks win. As expected, Connecticut moves into the number one slot in both college basketball polls. The Huskies avoiding the upset bug that bit all three teams above them last week. That's Tuesday Sports. Thank you, Robert. Coming up next, Hollywood rolls out the red carpets when America in the Morning continues after these messages. Welcome back. You're with America in the Morning. The Emmy Awards last night correspondent Kevin Carr has a recap on the winners and losers. Postponed from last fall due to the Hollywood labor disputes, the 75th Annual Emmy Awards finally took place last night. I love television. And tonight we celebrate 75 years of Emmy. Anthony Anderson hosted for the first time, and he looked to the past for inspiration, referencing classic shows like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, Good Times, The Facts of Life, and Miami Vice in his monologue. That was until his mother stepped in to move things along. That's enough! Mama! I want to go to the after party. Hurry up! Okay, Mama! The big winners of the night were Succession for Drama, The Bear for Comedy, and Beef for Limited Series. Each won Best Show, Writing, Directing, and Multiple Acting Awards. Some of the more entertaining moments included a speech by Niecy Nash Betts for her win for Best Supporting Actress for Dahmer. And you know who I want to thank? I want to thank me. Also, after winning Best Supporting Actress in a Drama for The White Lotus, Jennifer Coolidge decided to go for some comedy. I want to thank all the evil gays. More nostalgia swept the stage with cast reunions of classic shows like Martin, which was never even nominated for an Emmy, the cast of Cheers, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler with a fresh weekend update, and the original cast of Grey's Anatomy. Wait, isn't that still on the air? Other big winners included Quinta Brunson for Abbott Elementary and Paul Walter Hauser for Blackbird. I'm Kevin Carr. And that's our show for today, Tuesday, January 16th, 2024. America in the Morning is produced by Alexander Hinton. Our senior producer, Kevin Delaney. I'm John Trout. This is Westwood One. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Should we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord, we get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.